Hello, this is Nathan Kreider back again with another podcast. Um, this podcast will now officially be called Creedcast, thanks to Tyler Vigue. So today, I'm going to be doing something a little different than my last two podcasts. I'm going to be doing something based off an experience that I had today. So, I was sitting in my living room in Pennsylvania. You don't need to know where exactly. And reading lectures to my students by the late Charles Haddon Spurgeon when my doorbell rang. And I went to the door unexpectedly and opened up to find that a Jehovah's Witness was standing at the door. And that is when my heart started pounding because I knew that I was not ready to give a defense of my faith against the Jehovah Witness belief. And that is why I'm here today, to encourage you to not be a fool like myself and to hopefully take some of what I teach and some of what other people teach and do some of your own studies and to become more firm in the defense of your faith. So, let's get into it. The first argument that he made against me was out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, which reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, he argued that the word firstborn meant that he was the first created thing. He obviously did not know his Greek. The word prototokos does, means nothing about being created whatsoever. There is no, there's nothing in there that talks about being created. It is more of a preeminent um, rule, <clears throat> or preeminent being preeminent in rank. So Christ was preeminent in rank over all creation. That's what that verse is actually talking about. And to define Scripture with Scripture, you can see, you can see um, how we define this in Psalm eighty-nine, verse twenty-seven, when God claims the same exact thing to King David. And says that he wants to make him the firstborn and to make him a powerful king. This is, I mean, that was just a complete, just like mind-boggling misconception of what scripture means. And I now know how to defend that. But to move on to verse 16, he tried to use this, I mean, he uses the New World Translation, the New World Translation translates verse 16, for by him all things were, or for by him all other things were created, and the end of the verse, all other things were created through him and for him. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to go into the text and see that the word other is nowhere to be found in any manuscript ever. That, I mean, the word for other in um, in Greek is Allah, and that word is not anywhere in this text at all. And, I mean, it's just pushing their agenda. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to pick a word to push your agenda, you should make one a lot less obvious than that, because that is easily refutable. And not only that, it's very dangerous and obviously it's heretical it's led millions into the pits of hell because of it and it 
goes against what Revelation 22.18 warns about, claiming that if you add to Scripture, all the plagues in this book will be allotted to you. And eternal fire is, in fact, one of those plagues. Um, and obviously, the twisting of the Scripture has led to an extreme heresy. And <clears throat> not only this... And this whole point of verse 15 and 16 that they try to make that Jesus was created is easily refutable by one one simple verse in John chapter 1 verse 3, which says, By him all things were created, and apart from him nothing has come into being that has been created. I botched that pretty bad. But to say I say this to say that that scripture specifically says nothing that has been nothing has come into being apart from Christ. That's what it says, really. I just butchered it. Apart from him, nothing has come into being that is. <coughs> that is nothing N O T H I N G Nada. Nothing. Not not Christ. Christ did not come into being through himself. Um and Christ was already there. I mean, it says nothing came into being apart from him, and that's nothing. You can't add anything else to that, and that is what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. So, now that we are in John chapter 1, we can go to the A-God dilemma. They will claim that Jesus was A-God, and how they do this is because they look at the Greek not very well, and they see the Greek word for God, which is theos. And they see that in the instance where it says um, that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word, or in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. There is not a definitive, a definite article in front of theos. So they translate it and the word was with God and the word was a God. Now, if we're going to be consistent, we should take the same translation and put it everywhere else in Scripture where that same rule would apply. So let's move down to verse 6, where we have theu, which is the genitive of theos, the genitive of God. So they would, in their own rule, being consistent, translate verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name, or there's a man sent from a God whose name was John. That doesn't make much sense at all. So, to move down to verse 12 now, we see theu once again, the genitive, without a definite article in front of it. And we would translate that according to their standard, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of a God. That, again, pretty inconsistent, doesn't really make any sense in the context of the verse. Verse 13, we again have Theu. This is going to be my last one because I think I've beaten the dead horse. We can translate that according to their standard. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of a God. So either they are deists and they don't know God, and they actually mean that every time in Scripture where Theos is there without <clears throat> without a definite article that's just talking about a god that's inconsistent 
and it's no Greek scholar on the face of the earth would ever translate it that way. <laughs> now, moving to John chapter 5. We're going to be moving into the defense of Christ being equivalent with the Father, which they strictly argue against because Jesus was created. He was a created being, and therefore he was subordinate to the Father. So, John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. This is where Jesus says, My Father is working, and I am working as well. And then John the Apostle writes, Jesus claimed that um, God was his Father, making him equal with God. And that is why they are trying to kill him. I mean, they... The Jehovah's Witness tried to say that, no, the Jews wrote that. They wrote that, and Jesus didn't actually say that himself. But John simply was implementing a cultural ideology that said that if you claim that God was your paternal father, that he was your blood father, that made you equal with him. It has nothing to do with... Jews writing it or Jesus saying it, it was, I mean, he did say that God was his father and saying that in that culture meant that you were equal with God, period. There's no, there's nothing, no other argument against that. I mean, I don't know. The guy, the guy didn't really make any argument or any reasoning for why he said what he said. But moving to John chapter eight, it should be a very familiar one if you are up to date on your apologetics for the deity of Christ. It says, Before Abraham was, I am. And then verse 59, talking about the Jews picking up stones and trying to kill him. Now, I brought this verse up to the Jehovah's Witness, and he pretty much completely blew off the I am part. And that I am part is the only part of that verse, or the most significant part of that verse, rather, not the only part that matters, the most significant part of that verse. It is Christ's explicit claim to deity, taking the title of I am from Exodus 3 and putting it upon himself, therefore making him equal with God. That is why the Jews picked up stones in verse 59 to throw at him and to kill him, Not because he said he was before Abraham, but because he said, I am. Because he claimed to be God, he was blaspheming in the eyes of the Jews. And that is why they picked up stones to kill him. He made himself equal with God, and he made himself God. Or he claimed to be himself God, and blasphemed in the eyes of the Jews. Now, John chapter 10, we're going to move there next, John 10 verse 28 through 31. This is John talking about, um, or Jesus, sorry, uh, talking about how him and the Father persevere the saints and um, keep the saints till the end. He, in this section of scripture, talks about, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So you see the same function for Christ and for the Father. We see they will never, or no one will snatch them out of my hand. Then we see describing the Father, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, showing that they are equal in function and both um, persevering the saints and um, protecting them from the evil one. And not only after that, verse 30, he says explicitly, it's about as clear as you can get, I and the Father are one. And then again, you see the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They picked up stones again because he claimed equality with the Father. He claimed equality with God. And, I mean, you cannot beat around this bush. It's impossible. It is literally impossible and you have to be insane or just really, really, really determined to twist scripture for your own agenda if you're going to try to beat around this bush. Christ explicitly claims equality with the Father. Now, the last place that I'm going to be going is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, in this section of scripture, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he is talking about the Israelites during the ex or not the exile, but during yeah, during the exile. Um not the exile, my goodness, during the Exodus and talking about how they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Skip down to verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. So, nevertheless, most of them, God, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown by temptation in the wilderness. And then we skip down to verse 8 again. They indulged in sexual morality and 23,000 fell in a single day because they put Christ to the test. And Paul is warning the Corinthian church to not do the same thing because they put Christ to the test and were destroyed by serpents. 23,000 fell in a single day. That is a direct equivalency with God saying God was not pleased for they were overthrown. And then coming down to verse 9 saying that we shouldn't put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed because God, Christ, was not pleased with them. There was another scripture that I was hoping to use again, but I looked, I did a lot of um, manuscript criticism and just looked at a lot of manuscripts and stuff and there was a lot of controversy and debate over whether um, Jude, verse 5, um, originally had the word Jesus in there, which is Jesus, or if it had Kyrios, which is Lord. Now, the earliest manuscripts, I think it's P72, has Jesus in there, and that is from the 3rd and 4th century, but scholars such as Bruce Metzger um, argue pretty strictly against this translating, so interpret that um, cautiously, Definitely look at scholars, look at 
um, <clears throat> commentaries and discern for yourself, but I'm not going to include that for the sake of controversy and so that you can avoid that problem in your apologetic. So, that is about all I have. I hope that this is helpful. If you ever come into um, contact with a Jehovah's Witness and he starts um, starts trying to convert you, I hope that you can come back against some of his arguments. Please memorize these scriptures. Practice this. Um, put these scriptures in your heart because they are the defense of your faith against these heresies that are out to destroy you. And it is so important. And not only that, but it glorifies God by seeing, by him seeing truth put into action and possibly the conversion of a Jehovah's Witness to the truth of Christianity. I hope this helped to equip you and I hope this helped to help you defend um, the hope that is within you with all gentleness. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.